when I sit up here and they are singing is not only to worship with them, but uh, look out oftentimes at our young people and see them singing along. And that is a blessing to me as, as well. Well, I saw a cartoon not long ago of two mules standing on either side of a fence. Both of them had their heads stuck through the fence grazing on the other side. And the caption underneath it said, discontent. There is not a lot of contentment in our world. Probably there is not a lot of contentment in our lives. When we look at our lives, the things we thought would bring us contentment have not done so. For instance, some of you found a dream home, that house that you just had to have, and now it has to be remodeled or you need to get a new one. It no longer is the dream home. It is now a money pit. No matter how much money we make, we never make enough. If we win eight ball games, we have to win nine. If we win nine, we have to win ten. And that gadget that you bought not long ago that was the most sophisticated technologically that had ever been invented is now obsolete and so you have to get another one. There's just not a lot of contentment, but what is it? Well, it isn't complacency. There are those who think that contentment means that I am satisfied, that I am complacent, that, that I am accepting of mediocrity and so I just am okay with the way things are. Now that's complacency. That is not contentment. It is not escapism. There are those who think that to be content, one day I am going to retire. I'm not going to work anymore. I'm not going to have to have an alarm clock, answer any phone calls, anything like that. I'm going to move to the beach and I'm going to walk in the sand and I'm just going to do nothing. No, that probably is laziness that is not necessarily contentment. Well, what is it? The dictionary defines it as freedom from care or discomfort, satisfied or manifesting satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. W. Vine says that it primarily signifies to be sufficient. To be possessed of sufficient strength, to be strong, to be enough for a thing, hence to defend, to ward off. How can we be content in our circumstances? Oftentimes I'll ask someone, how are you? And they will say, well, okay, under the circumstances. How can we be content in life with our circumstances? That's what I want to speak to you about today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse number 10. Paul wrote, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, you might notice there in verse number 10 that Paul began 
saying, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern of me. Paul is saying that I rejoiced in the Lord because I understood God's proper involvement in my life. I understood that God is involved with the Philippians to minister to my needs. I believe that we are discontent when we do not understand God's proper involvement in our lives. For instance, the fatalist. The fatalist believes in the existence of God, but blames God for everything bad that happens. Now, the fatalist then believes in God, but does not properly understand God's involvement in life. Most of the pagan religions were fatalistic and when something bad happened, they blamed God for it. If there was a drought, it was God's fault. If there was a famine, it was God's fault. If there was a death, it was God's fault. Sometimes they would sacrifice their children to appease this angry God. So they understood God's involvement. It was just not a proper involvement in their understanding. As Christians, we can also fall into that fatalistic mindset. When bad things happen sometimes, I will hear someone say, well, God's in control. And normally, you know, not being as astute as I should be, I'll say, well, yeah, let's blame that on God. But that's what we do oftentimes. When bad things happen, oftentimes our response is, well, God is in control or God is in charge. And as a matter of fact, in our insurance policies, when bad things happen, They refer to it as being an what? An act of God. So we we can fall into this fatalistic understanding. Yes, God is involved in life, but not understand his proper involvement. So the fatalist then believes in God, but blames God for everything bad that happens. The unbeliever ignores God. You see, the fatalist sees God everywhere. The unbeliever sees God nowhere. For instance, the deists believe that God created this world. He wound it up like a clock, put it in orbit, and then God withdrew from it. So God is not involved. So the deist then ignores God and his involvement in life. The humanist can marvel at the beauty of creation, but never see a creator who created the beauty of creation. The atheist says that there is no God, and of course, atheism is growing in our country today. So, I believe that one of the reasons there is so much discontentment in society today is that we do not understand God's proper involvement in life. When we understand God's proper involvement in our lives, I believe that gives us contentment. Now, look again at verse number 10. I rejoiced. In the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. You see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying that even though I have these needs in my life, God has revived you and now you are ministering to my needs. He saw God's involvement in his life. Thus, he was able to say, I rejoice in the Lord. 
Even though his circumstances were not perfect, I rejoice in the Lord because he saw God's involvement. Joseph understood God's involvement in his life. You know the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. Potiphar accused him of indiscretion, put him in prison. All of those things that happened to Joseph. But even though those bad things happened to Joseph, Joseph understood life in terms of God being involved in his life. And so Joseph said in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You see, Joseph understood all that was happening to him in terms of God's involvement in his life. And he said, even though you meant it for evil, God was at work to preserve the lives of others. So he understood life then in terms of God's involvement. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also understood God's involvement in life. You know that Nebuchadnezzar erected an idol, told everyone to bow down and worship the idol. All did except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to do so. They were then called before the king. The king said, I'm going to give you another opportunity. And if you bow down and worship the idol, then all is forgotten. If you do not, then I'm going to place you in the furnace. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 17, they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Do you see, they understood life, even in the threat of death, they understood life in terms of God's involvement. God was involved with them. It is not favorable or pleasant circumstances that provide contentment. It is the awareness of God's presence in your life. Do you know that God is involved with you? The Bible says that God foreknew you. Romans chapter 8, 29, for whom he foreknew. Do you know what that means? For whom he foreknew. That means of the billions of people on earth, God knows you. Isn't that astounding? That God knows you? Gary, that God knows you? Andrew, that God knows you. Ellen, that God knows you. So shape up. <laughs> now, that, that's an astounding thought to me, that God knows me. But that's what that means. God foreknew you. He knows you. He knows you. And the Bible says that he predestined you. He goes on in that verse and says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So what he is saying is that God knows you. God knows you. And he is working in your life with the circumstances of your life to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing with you. God knows you and those who have been saved, those who know him, the Lord is at work in your life through the circumstances of your life to make you like Jesus. So he said, I rejoiced in the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord because Paul understood that God was involved in his life. And then Paul goes on and says, now, I've learned the secret to it. Verse number 11. 
Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. The words have learned were words used by pagan religions to refer to their secretive initiations. He said, so I've learned the secret. He said, I have learned to be content. The word content that is used there pictures a city that is under siege. It is cut off from outside help, but it is sufficient within itself to survive. He said, I have learned the secret of being content. And Paul says that God uses the circumstances of life to teach. God uses the circumstances of life to instruct us. He said, so I've learned how to handle humble means. Now, I know that there are those people who say that if you know the Lord, you're serving the Lord, that it's all going to be downhill and shady, that everything is going to be fine. Well, that's not what Paul says. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 9, he referred to himself as being a spectacle to the world. In the next verse, he said, we are fools for Christ's sake. We are weak. We are without honor. So Paul is saying that I have experienced those humble times in life and God has used them in my life to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. So contentment then is not determined. Now listen to me. Contentment is not determined by what you have. I've told you before, when Linda and I went into the ministry, and, and uh, it, was, it was tough. I mean, we didn't have anything. We, we just didn't have anything. But you know what? There was a sense of contentment that I had even back then. Though I was making $100 a week, there was a sense of contentment because I knew that I was in the will of God. When you know that you are where God wants you to be, there is a sense of contentment that comes with it. So Paul says that God has used those humble times in my life to teach me. And he says also prosperity. I've enjoyed some prosperity in life. Now Albert Barnes wrote, it requires as much grace to keep the heart right in prosperity as it does in adversity and perhaps more. Paul says, I know how to live in prosperity. And there was a sense in which he was prosperous. He was well educated. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the leading Jewish rabbis of the time. He was from the city of Tarsus, which was a university town. He might have been a a member of the Sanhedrin. He was well respected. But their failure to bring contentment to his life was the thing that drove him to Christ. His blessings in life, his prosperity of life did not content him. And that was the reason that he came to Christ. Contentment, ladies and gentlemen, is not in humble means, nor is it in prosperity. Paul said, I've learned a secret. What is it, Paul? Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The Amplified Bible translates that, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength 
into me. Ron Dunn said, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until he's all you've got. Jesus is the secret. Paul says, now I've learned the secret to being content. I've learned what it is. What is it? It is being connected to Jesus Christ. You see, he is the vine and we are the branches. So it is our connection to him that gives us contentment. Because we are connected to him, then we have the ability to discharge every duty. Every duty. You know all that Paul suffered. You know that all that he went through and so forth. And yet when he came to the end of his life, facing the executioner, facing death, Paul was able to say, I have finished my course. I have discharged my duty. He said, the things that God placed me here to do, my purpose in life, I have been able to fulfill because of my connection to Jesus Christ. Because of a connection to Jesus Christ, we can endure every trial. And ladies and gentlemen, I know that some of you are going through trials. But because of a connection to Jesus Christ, you can endure sickness. You can endure threats and temptation. You can endure death. You can endure whatever it is that comes your way because of your connection to Jesus. Because of our connection to Jesus, we can overcome every temptation because the power is in Christ. You know, Satan tempts us sometimes by saying, Now, if you will follow me, then I'm going to give you thus and such. And our response is, you can't give me anything because I already have everything in Christ. And then Satan tries to tempt us by saying, if you don't follow me, then I'm going to take something away. And our response is, you can't take anything away because I don't have anything. You see, contentment comes because of our connection to Jesus Christ. Not in what we have or don't have. Not in our humble means or our prosperity. Neither of those. Contentment comes because of our connection to Jesus Christ. But that connection also must be our priority. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, I want you to notice that he said, seek first. If I were to ask you, do you love God? I would imagine that you would say yes. But if I were to ask you, is he first in your life? I'm not sure what you would say. Well, that's what Jesus is saying. He is to be first in your life. The kingdom is to be first in your life. Is it first? Say, I don't know. I couldn't answer that for you. But is it first in your life? Is the kingdom of God first in your life? Because Jesus said, seek first. And then these things will be added to you. Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. What is it, Paul? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, I have contentment because of my connection to Jesus Christ. You want contentment in life? Young people, you want contentment? You'll not find it in the world. It is in a connection to Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in verse number 19, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Contentment comes when we understand that it is Jesus who meets our needs. Now, the Lord was meeting the needs of Paul. Back in verse number 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last 
You have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. So Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord because the Lord has stirred you to minister to the needs that I have. And so the Bible says that they sent a gift in verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now, Paul's response to this gift is interesting. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord because the Lord has stirred you. He has stirred you up to minister to my need. He said, so you sent a gift. Now, his response to that gift is interesting in verse number 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now, here's what Paul is saying. They sent a gift to him, but their gift to him was an investment in the kingdom of God. They sent a gift to him, but he says that was an investment. Did you notice what he says? That there might be a profit to your account. That's the reason I referred to it as an investment. He said, you have, re- you have sent a gift, an investment. You have made an investment. Well, what is the return on it? That there might be a profit in your account. Do you know that's a biblical teaching? That as you, you know, sometimes we think that we are giving to the Lord. Or I hear people say sometimes, well, I'm paying my tithe. I'm, I'm, I'm paying rent on the pew, whatever it is that they say. No, folks, that's an investment. You're making an investment in the kingdom of God. And I hope that's the way that you present it. You know, I, I don't see it as paying my dues. You're making an investment. And the Bible says that God pays the return. In fact, the scripture says in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there shall be food in my house And test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. So that's what Paul is saying. He says, the Lord stirred you up to minister to my needs. When you ministered to my needs, that was an investment that you made. And the Lord's dividends is a profit to your account. That's what he said. Now look at verse number 18. But I have received everything in full. Have an abundance. I am amply supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma. An acceptable sacrificing. Well pleasing to God. He says that your gift was a sacrifice. He said it was acceptable to God. It was well-pleasing to God. So in verse number 19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So God then makes a promise to meet our needs as we invest in the kingdom. Then he promises to meet our needs. Now, did you notice there? He says all your needs. You see, the Philippians met one need. God meets all our needs. The Philippians gave out of their poverty. God gives out of his riches. So Paul says that our needs then are met. Let me conclude. How can we live contented lives? 
Rejoice in the Lord because you understand God's involvement in your life. Do you understand that? Do you understand that God is involved in your life? That he is involved in the humble, me, in, in the humble things, he is involved in prosperity, but that God is involved in your life. Therefore, you can rejoice in him. Folks, I, I was thinking about this earlier before I came out here, and I was praying about it when I was seated up here. And that is the understanding that even right now, God is involved in my life. God's involved in your life right now. If you see the hand of God, not to blame him as the fatalist, not to ignore him as the unbeliever, but if you see the hand of God in your life, then you can rejoice in the Lord. No matter what I'm going through, see the hand of God, that God is involved in your life. Secondly, learn the secret. And the secret to contentment is connection. It's being connected to Jesus Christ. And then rely on God. He will meet your needs according to his riches in glory. There was a bishop in the early church who was said to be an example of contentment. Everyone always spoke about how contented this man was. He was asked about it. How can you be so content? He said, it consists of nothing more than making a right use of my eyes. In whatever state I am, I first of all look up to heaven and remember that my principal business here is to get there. Then I look upon the earth and call to mind how small a place I shall occupy when I die and am buried. I was talking to Eric, my son, the other day. And I admire him so much. But as I was talking with him, he's 43 years old. He said, if I were to die today, I would have no complaints because God has so blessed my life. Folks, that's my prayer for you and for me, that we might live our lives in such a way, recognizing the involvement of God, Putting the kingdom first, that we're able to say, if I were to die today, I would die contented because Jesus is really all I need. Our Father in God, I pray that you will take your word, apply it to our hearts. And Lord, that our commitment to you might be so real, so solid that we are content because of our connection with you. I pray for those who have never come to know Christ that they might. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we will stand, sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord's calling. If you're here without Christ, I pray that you will come to him, trust him today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. The choir sings as they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.